Welcome to our September 25th worship service from North Coast United Methodist Church. The best place to seek God is in a garden. You can dig for God there. As we dig for God in our prayers, our music, and our time of scripture, I pray that we find the roots that God has growing in our lives so that we can fill the foundational support of God's love. Amen. Let's join together for our call to worship. Come, all of you who live in the shelter of God's love, we call upon God's name. Come, all of you who seek refuge from the storms of this world, we ask for God's protection. Come, all of you who trust in God's steadfast faithfulness, we seek the promises of God. Come and worship, for God's promises are true. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, dry and true, with thanksgiving. I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and Joseph's story. Imagine yourself as Joseph. It's a warm, hot day in Egypt. You're standing in front of long lines of people waiting to pick up food. They're hungry, but you've been saving food for the past seven years. You've taken a little bit from everyone of their grain harvest for this exact reason. Long lines, but people are willing to wait because they know you and they trust you. You're Joseph. You work for the Pharaoh. Now, as you're standing there in line, the lines are getting longer 
but you can see this big group of men at the back. They've traveled a very, very long time and they're getting closer and closer. And then you realize who they are. They're your brothers. They don't know who you are at all. Can you imagine that feeling in your chest? These are the brothers who probably over 20 years ago pushed you into a hole, ripped that beautiful coat that you loved so much, bullied you. You were a bit dramatic, but <laughs> you pleaded and begged with them to let you out. They sold you to slavery. You had to go to jail. You were a slave. All of these things, these horrible, bad things happened to you. And here they are in line and they want food from you. They are slowly coming up closer in line and you have to hold and smile while they get closer. Will they recognize you? Will they know who you are? Will they know that you're their brother? And here they are coming to you, starving. They get up to you. They don't know it's you because you see for over 20 years, they convinced themselves that you were dead because they told your father that you were dead because they felt so guilty for what they had done to you. So here they are and you look at them and you're so angry and you're so mad and they don't look like anyone else because they came from a distant land and they were dirty and gross because they had to travel really far. So what do you do? You yell, oh, you're spies. And they go, no, 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 sir, we're honest men. And you're so mad and you go, and you laugh at them. And Joseph threw them in jail. He threw them in jail and he let them sit for three days before he talked to them. And in those three days, those brothers all sat and started to think. And they started to wonder and they started to go, I bet you this is how Joseph felt. This is what we did to our brother. Kind of interesting how God works, right? God just kind of works his way into your brain and into your heart, doesn't he? So after three days, he brought them out and he fed them. What? Okay, well, that's what Joseph wanted to do because Joseph had a plan. He started to work things out in his brain. So he sat there and he started to talk to them about what they were doing. And he said, you know what? There's only... You're missing one. Where, where's the youngest one? And they, all, all the brothers said, oh, Benjamin, no, he's at home. He's not allowed to come with us. He said, no, go get your brother. Go get Benjamin and you need to come back. Oh, no, 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 no. We're, we're, we're not allowed. To, he's not allowed to come with us. Well, Joseph is a man in power. And what Joseph says, since he works for the Pharaoh, you have to do what he says. So, he kept Simeon behind, gave them their grain, and said, bring your brother back to me now. Oh boy. What those brothers didn't know is that he hid some silver coins in the grain to test his brothers to see if they really were honest men. As Joseph still, after all this time, did not believe his brothers. I mean, would you, after everything that they did to him over 20 years, Joseph still carried a grudge, which is understandable, right? So the brothers 
left one brother, Simeon, behind and decided to go all the way back to their dad, knowing our dad's not going to let our, our little brother Benjamin go, but we got to follow these orders because we got to do it. So they went all the way back to their dad, Jacob, and they told their dad what happened and they ate and ate because they were so hungry because for seven years they had a lot of stuff, but news travels pretty slow over there. So they didn't know that they needed to save for the seven years of famine that were coming. So they were pretty hungry. They had some food, but not a lot of food. So convincing Jacob and Jacob went, nope, nope. I already lost one son that I loved. I already lost my beautiful Joseph. I'm not going to lose Benjamin too. No. So the one brother that really hated Joseph the most, Judah, remember him? The one that wanted to get rid of Joseph the most, the one that hated him the most. He says, father, if anything happens to Benjamin, you can get rid of me. Here's more of God putting himself in our lives. So he goes ahead and, and finally Jacob says, I have to follow the rules. I have to follow the law. I, okay, Benjamin, you have to go. I, I need, I can't lose Simeon. I can't lose another son. He's in jail. I, I, I can't. I, all right, you guys go. Go get your brother. So they all go back, right? And take gifts with you. Take these gifts, take all these gifts that we've made back and maybe, maybe he'll be nice to us, right? Maybe he'll go. So all the brothers all go back with Benjamin all the way back to Joseph as fast as they can, all the way back. So they show back up again and Joseph looks at all of them. He counts all of them and he goes, hmm, you came back. All right, cool. Get Simeon out of jail. And then looks at all of them and counts them and goes, all right. So now Joseph starts to do funny things that you would think that the brothers would notice, right? He has them all sit down for lunch and he makes them sit in order of how old they are. Now, I would notice that. You would notice that. But these brothers, they're so nervous, they don't even notice, right? Why don't they notice this stuff? So he has them sit down. So they sit down and they're eating. And then he asks them about their father. Okay, well, that, that might be okay, right? And he finds out that his dad is still alive. And Joseph is so happy. He loved his father. He was very close with his father, remember? His dad gave him that coat. And he had all those wonderful dreams. And he knew that he'd be special. Oh, yeah, Joseph, Joseph was daddy's boy, remember? Remember back at the beginning of our story? Oh, so much fun. So finally, lunch is over. He's met Benjamin. He's seen all of these wonderful things. So now all the brothers are packing up. They think, oh, whew, we did everything we had to do. Let's just go. Shh, shh, shh. Let's, let's get out of here. Let's go home now. Okay, come on. Quick, 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 quick. Let's go. So they're packing up and Joseph says, wait, wait, wait. Don't you guys want some more grain? Do you guys want some more food? Let's go. So while they're packing up more grain, Joseph does the coin test again. But instead of putting it in all of the brothers' sacks, he just hides it in Benjamin's sack. And this time, he calls for the guards because he notices that the coins are missing. So the guards go through everyone's grain and finds the coins in Benjamin's sack. 
And he says, oh, whoa, you guys are stealing from me. What's going on? What's going on, guys? And the brothers at this point are going, oh, no, we, we would never steal from you. We'd never steal. And Joseph says, oh, no, guys, I noticed this. This isn't okay. And what brother do you think stands in between Joseph and Benjamin? The one very brother who wanted to get rid of Joseph, Judah. The one brother stands in between and says, oh, no, sir. Remember, we found these other coins, too. We brought everything back and we brought these other gifts. But we found these other coins, too. We think your servants were stealing. And, and look, we brought you these coins that we also found. So his brothers learned. His brothers learned to be honorable men. They brought the other coins and these coins. And then Judah decided to tell him about all of the treacherous things that they did to their other brother. And they decided to spill all the story, all of the tea about what they did to Joseph and said, we had this other brother. Our father was heartbroken about all these horrible things. We lost our other brother. Our dad was so sad. He already lost his beloved son. Don't make him lose another one. We can't do that to our father. What do you think Joseph did? Joseph was so overcome with grief, he cried. He sent all of his servants away and cried. Oh, those brothers didn't know what to do. They just were like, uh what's going on what what and at that point joseph couldn't hold it anymore and he said guys i'm joseph i'm your brother i'm your brother you guys i'm your i'm joseph and all of these guys all these brothers at this time were going oh what are we doing oh my goodness what is happening right now but instead of joseph being angry at them and joseph wanting to be mad he decided to say you intended this for harm but god intended it for good what instead he decided to do is he decided to use this as a way for God to make it good. If it hadn't have been for all of those things that those brothers did to him, he wouldn't have been able to save Egypt. He wouldn't have been, nobody would have been there to listen to Pharaoh's dreams and they wouldn't have saved Egypt. All of those people wouldn't have had food. Nothing would have come from that. The entire country would have withered away his family would have been gone. God used the bad that Joseph's family did to him to save them. God was bigger than their plan. God is so much bigger than everything else that we think that we have. God never wastes a hurt. All of the hurt that was done to Joseph, God used it in magnificent ways. And the God, the pain and everything, it came about in such a wonderful way in the very end. It hurt it hurt then and it hurts now, but in the end, it comes out in such a wonderful way in the end. So when, when they confessed their sins, Joseph forgave them. So much like what God does for us as well. When we confess our sins, God can turn them into something and help us work through them. I hope you guys enjoyed the story of Joseph. I love this story and I love telling the story every time I get to do it. I hope to see you guys on Sundays.
Take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to Let's join together in prayer. Loving God, help us grow as we face the struggles of this life. When we are in conflict, help us learn the true meaning of forgiveness. When we are in turmoil, grant us your peace that passes all understanding. When our roots are shallow or bitter, Replant us in fertile soil of loving faith. When the woes of this world threatens us, help us lean on your nurture and strength. In all of the changing circumstances of our lives, plant your word in our hearts again and again that we might grow into the Christian disciples you call us to become. Amen. And as we continue in this time of prayer, let's continue in the prayer that Jesus Christ taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Let's join together for our words of assurance. The word of God is true. Grace is ours. Through the love of Jesus Christ, 
as forgiven people made new in God's Spirit. Be the fertile ground for God's Word to take root and grow. Thanks be to God. Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things and parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seeds fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Listen, then, to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their hearts. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, the only... They only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falls among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and deceitfulness of wealth choke the world, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Let's join together in prayer. Precious and loving God, we thank you for all the ways that you move through our lives, the ways that you touch our hearts, the way you open our ears so that we can hear the message that you are sharing with us. Today, as we look at the first part of the scripture, I hope that we celebrate together the reality of Jesus Christ knowing the importance of us having a base level understanding of what's being said so that we can retain that information and grow with it in its deeper roots as we review it later. Be with us in this time of discussion, Lord. Nothing happens unless it's sparked by you. Amen. Today we're going to talk about the parables. We're going to talk about the concept of the parables today. And we're going to talk about the reality that Jesus Christ dealt with in his time of ministry. Because of when Christ was present in ministry, because of the time frame that Christ was active and moving, there's so many 
benefits that we exist with today that makes information more retainable, more opportunity to grow, more opportunity to root ourselves, to, to really dig in to what we've heard. We have ways now to hear the information in its original presentation. But Christ didn't have that. But Christ was the first voice of an important movement. And Christ needed to do things in such a way that it could be heard, remembered, and then lived. So let's look at that today, but let's talk a little bit more historically about the time frame of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ's teaching method. Jesus Christ existed in the time of the oral tradition. We hear all sorts of stories about all the different great philosophers who took time to move and to walk with their students, to have conversations with each other, to, to question and debate with each other, the information that they were sharing. And it was in that time of conversation that the information became a part of the individual. Not taking notes in the classroom or not having a computer to write down thoughts and to hold on to things through, not having a video camera in front of them recording their words so that people could hear them again at a different time. The oral tradition is this journey. It's a reality that I have to say something to you in the moment that you will connect to in the moment so that it's sustainable, it sits in your mind and grows, it sits on your heart and feeds so it becomes something that we live with in our lives. I exist outside of this YouTube podcast presentation within the realms of the oral tradition. Every pastor's sermon that they share in front of the church on Sunday morning, even though, yes, they're being recorded, are still dependent on this practice of the oral tradition. I have to share things in such a way that as many people as possible can find some form of a connection to it. And that doesn't always happen. There's been the Sundays that I've gotten the, that was a great sermon, Pastor, and they kept going. And then also there's days that it works because I also, on that same day, on the same day that I've gotten, that was a great sermon, Pastor, and kept going, which I know is a good try. <laughs> but also on that same day, I get the comments, how did you know? How did you know I was dealing with that? How did you know that was something that I was worrying with? Were you talking to me? It's the journey of the oral tradition. There's times that we connect with everyone and there's times that we don't, but it's the effort of connection through the conversation that's important. So as we look at the scripture today from Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, and we're going to go ahead and wait for the the parable of the weeds until we do our Tuesday video. But today with the parable of the sower, let's, let's go verse by verse and let's talk about it. Let's use 
the oral tradition and have a conversation as Christ actually explains his practice within the oral tradition in the scripture. So we're going to begin with Matthew 13. The same day Jesus went out to the house and sat by the lake, such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and he was scattering the seed. Some fell along the path, and the birds came along and ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they were withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still others' seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred and sixty or thirty times what was sown. Whoever hears... Let them hear. So there's the, there's the parable. Now, if we begin to break down the parable, if we begin to have the conversation of the parable, what's happening? First of all, as I shared a minute ago, in the oral tradition, you need to have a conversation that's rooted in something that can have the most cross-cultural, cross-generational understanding. Now, Christ existed in a time that farming was crucial and important. Farming helped individuals survive. Yes, they had markets that people sold their crops, but it was the farmers and the farming that made the crops available at the local market. The most opportunity to get the most attention was this parable of a farmer. A, sowed, a, a seed sower. So he begins with this story and this narrative that connects with as much people possible. Now, does everybody get that? No. The kings and the rulers wouldn't have understood that. That's not a part of their being. People who suffer on the outskirts of town, the hermits and the, the castaways, would have not understood that parable. So even within Christ's attempt of share, even within Christ's attempt of sharing a narrative that would connect to the most people, there is still a disconnect. And he begins to explain the disconnect in this parable. Let's go back and let's look at the things that prohibit the seed from taking root. Because Christ is sharing why at times even Christ as the main voice of the new way using the oral tradition is not heard. There's barriers and there's blockers and there's outside things that pull the seed away from being fed and fostered and to grow to find its potential. He brings up things like some of the seeds fall down in random places and the birds swoop down and eat it away. Sometimes the seeds fall in rocky places and they don't have time to reach the soil to take root. 
He shares sometimes that it hits the ground and the, the soil is so shallow that the heat of the sun makes it wither and, and melt away. And sometimes the seed gets mixed in with other seeds and then there's thorns and weeds and everything that's sown all the way through it. And then the message really doesn't have the opportunity to take root. That's Christ explaining the barriers that exist within the oral tradition. And we still deal with those barriers. I, as a pastor, still deal with those barriers. Sometimes we feel that we have the message that an individual needs to hear. And we begin to feel that way. And it's not a moment of conceit or cockiness, but when you're in pastoral care, when you have pastoral care conversations, when you continue to talk to individuals about the paths that they're dealing with, about the issues that their lives are contending with, it begins to shape what I feel that needs to be shared on a Sunday morning or one of the two weekly videos. Now, there's times that I think I am going to say this and this is what I have been studying through. This is what I have learned through the journey that I have shared with an individual. And I stand up to share it. And then they're not there to hear it. Sort of the analogy of the bird sweeping down and carrying the seed away that it never gets a chance to water. Now, I want to say this. Please listen to me. I am not shaming people that don't come to church because that's, that's not what I'm doing. You know, we live in real lives. We deal with the kids until the late hours of the night, and we're exhausted the next day. And God bless, that's reality. We deal with a reality that we have needs and responsibilities, and we're called out to be caregivers, and we're called out to do special and important things. And through being called out to participate in this way, we get pulled from places that we feel fed, believe me. And the times that I have looked at an empty elliptical bike in my living room because I'm sitting at a computer trying to finish notes, I know that there are times that we have the desire to be in a fruitful, rich, soiled environment, but there's something that is sweeping down and taking us away. So that still exists for us because we're human beings. Now let's talk about what else exists for us because we're human beings. And I think about this because of the rocky soil. I think about this because of the things that it's the bumps and the bruises and the scars that, that limit us from going to the places. It's the places that we have once upon a time been hurt and we don't want to re-experience those scars or their bruises. We have the opportunity to have conversations of restoration, but we can't have that full, honest conversation because of our own hurts and pains. Jesus Christ addresses that in this parable, and we have to deal with that. And then the greatest reality, and this is something that we deal with as, uh, as a denomination that we are currently dealing with 
as a denomination. It's when that the weeds get intertwined with the growth of the seed and the weeds choke out the potential of growth for the seed. We're dealing with a lot of weeds in our denomination. We have had friends who have been pushed aside and ignored and shunned in our denomination. And we have a collection of dear friends that have said no more. I'm going to speak out for the cultural divisions that exist in our worship services. I'm going to speak out against the LGBTQIA exclusion that exists in our worship centers and within our worship leadership environments. I'm going to speak out about all of these harmful things that shove people away because every time an individual deals with being shoved away, it creates a weed that surrounds the crop and the crop is choked out and it doesn't grow. That's the reality that we still deal with. And it's the reality in Matthew 13 that Jesus Christ is addressing. And then we get to this next part. And this next part is, is crucial because Christ in this parable, using a narrative that a majority of the people listening to him would understand, farming, it's talking about the things that restrict people from hearing. And then someone comes along. Well, this becomes very important. It's verse 9. Whoever has hears, ears, let them hear. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Even if the birds are swooping down to eat the seed. Even if the rocky soil is prohibiting them to getting to the rich, fertile soil. Even if the weeds are choking them, there is still the opportunity for those that want to hear the message of Jesus Christ to hear it. So, Christ is then challenged to explain the oral tradition a little bit further by the first question that's asked after he shares it. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not them. Whoever has, who, whoever has, has will be given more they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Through hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has come callous. They hardly hear in their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see. 
your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it. And they hear what you have heard, but did not hear it. So, he's asked the question, why do you teach in parables? And he begins to share with the disciples, there's something that you understand that they don't understand. But, if I can share with them what I understand in a way that they can connect to it, then it'll begin to take root and they can have that conversation. Every time a farmer sows a seed, they can remember the master's words through practice and begin to have a connection to the master's words. Every time that a seed sower goes out to interact, to be a part of their practice, their lives, their being, they have another opportunity to interact with what they've heard and let it begin to take root. See, Christ, through His desire of sharing the parables, sharing this information in such a way that individuals can begin to understand it through something they already understand. They can find a connection to it through something they already connect to. Then the gospel message begins to flee the birds, work its way through the rocky edges, goes to the deeper soil, and becomes a part of the fruitful crops that grow and grow. They couldn't take notes. They couldn't record it. They couldn't watch it later. But through talking in the narrative of something that was already understood, the connectability of the gospel message was something they have already been connected to in their hearts, linked together and becomes the deep soil <clears throat> so that individuals can grow and understand the gospel at a much deeper level. And that comes through the willingness of being on the journey. It comes through the willingness of being willing to share the stories, being willing to learn enough about the individual that you can share the message of Jesus Christ with them in such a way that they can have a connection to it. And through that development of a connection, begin to have their eyes open, their ears open, and their hearts grow because they are connecting to the message of Jesus Christ. Thank you for letting me explain to you a little bit about the oral tradition and how Christ through Matthew 13 begins to explain it. So when we meet again on Tuesday, we're going to talk about the things that hinder it. And as we deal with the things that hinder our connection, we can begin to see how the perseverance through those things help us become the individuals that the Holy Spirit desires us to be. Thank you for listening to this conversation. My name is the Reverend Michael Drew Davis. May the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. God is love. Amen. I'd like to have the opportunity to get to know you. 
please email us at ncumcinfo at gmail.com. And if you've been enjoying our services online, please email us. Please say hello. Again, that's ncumcinfo at gmail.com. And also, if you'd like to give to our church, please go to northcoastumc.org and click on the Give button. Again, that's northcoastumc.org and click on the Give button. Thank you for joining us. Let's join together in our prayer of giving. Creator God, Create through us your realm here on earth. With these offerings, help us plant seeds even as we bear fruit. Bless our efforts and nourish our lives that we may be a harvest of generosity and love. Amen. Thank you once again for joining us in worship. Let's join together in our closing benediction. In the shelter of the Most High, we dwell secure. In the shadow of the Almighty, we rest in safety. Upon the wings of God's love, we fly safely above the storms. In the unapproachable life of the living God, We no longer fear the shadow of death. 
with the blessings of the one who is our hope and our salvation. We go forth to take hold of the life that really is life. May the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. God is love. Amen.